0: While walking home from a friend's house in 1996, Melanie Ether went missing. No one knows what happened to her and the case went cold shortly after it was discovered that she went missing. So what happened and why is there not really an effort to find her? hi hello what is up and welcome or welcome back to girl you haven't heard the podcast where we discuss true crime and black canadian history from a critical decolonial perspective but above all else without all the unnecessary propaganda that others love to include but we hate to listen to it is black history month but every sunday there will be a true crime episode coming out and it's all focused on black people as it is black history month so let's get into melanie ether who has been missing literally longer than i have been alive Melanie Nadia Ether was born on December 25th, 1980, and her mother is named Celine Ether. Her mother is a white Canadian and her father was from Botswana, and he and Celine actually met while he was attending mining school in a town near where Celine lived. And he actually moved to another school after Celine got pregnant, but then he returned home to Botswana shortly after he finished schooling. So he was not involved in Melanie's life, in her birth, or her upbringing, and it's unclear if at any point there was any reconnection that happened between the two, or if he literally just pumped, dumped, and ditched. Aww. About a year after Melanie was born, Celine would go on to give birth to another child named Jesse, who Melanie really acted like a second mother to. They really adored one another, and they had an extremely close relationship. The family would move to New Liskert, Ontario, when Melanie was only about six years old. She was an extremely happy individual. She had a lot of friends, a really bubbly personality. And in August of 1996, she got into a relationship with her first boyfriend named Neil Fortier. In the morning of September 28, 1996, Melanie went to a close family friend's house named Sylvie Chartrand. Sylvie and her daughter Stephanie and Melanie were the only ones home in the house. Sylvie's husband and her son were out of town. Melanie went there just to kind of get a break from everything that was going on things were kind of stressful and tense at home as the family was going through a lot of financial hardships as her mom like I mentioned before was a single mother to two children and so it was just very stressful it was a lot of pressure and obviously because Melanie was a child she was a minor there's nothing that she could really do about that but at the same time her single mother was doing the absolute best that she could to take care of their little family on her own. This day, their car had recently broken down, and the phones had gotten disconnected due to a lack of payment. So this might have just sent Melanie over the edge to where she felt like she needed to get out and just get her mind off of things. Melanie then left Sylvie's house shortly thereafter and went to have a day out to get her mind off of everything going on, and so she caught a bus and headed downtown. She ran into her best friend out of the new Lisgard Public Library. This wasn't planned, but the two ran into each other and they decided to just spend the day together anyways. They hit up a series of places before going to Pizza Pizza to have lunch. The two had good, normal conversations as per usual, and Melanie was just talking about her future with her best friend, like, talked about her dreams of becoming a teacher and going overseas to volunteer in Botswana, where her father was from and lived. Mm. After lunch, they proceeded to run some errands, which included Melanie buying candles, frosting, candy hearts and a cake pan as she was going to make a birthday cake for her grandma the next day they also went to collect some babysitting money that melanie was owed so just like regular teenage things the pair then met up with melanie's boyfriend neil and some other friends named dave bromley jay denom and ryan chatwin Everyone agreed that Melanie was in a pretty good mood that day and that night, and she seemed happy to be amongst her friends. At this point, it seemed like the worries at home were kind of off her mind. She wasn't too concerned. The group then went to a video rental store and rented the movie Sudden Death before making their way to Melanie's house to watch the movie and hang out for the rest of the night. When they got to her house sylvia and her mother were in the living room just hanging out and so the group wasn't able to watch the movie unless it was in melanie's room which she didn't really want like it was a lot of them for that so the group decided to go to someone else's house they headed over to dave's girlfriend's house samaya benchabi but they couldn't watch it there because her family was packing as they were about to move and so samya went and walked with them for a little bit just to kind of hang out get a break from packing but then went back home after they reached the armstrong street bridge The group then headed to Ryan's house on Pine Avenue, and Melanie's house was about a 10-minute walk away from Ryan's, so she was not far from home at all. Once they arrived to Ryan's house, Dave decided to head home. Ryan's parents were home and stayed in their bedroom while the group of teens were allowed to hang out in the basement. Ryan's parents said that they watched the movie in the basement, they weren't overly loud or noisy, nobody consumed any drugs or alcohol, they were just having some pure, harmless fun before the movie was over jay left sometime between 12 30 a.m and 1 a.m melanie's best friend also left before the movie was over and she headed back to melanie's house as she was getting a ride home to Haleybury from melanie's grandparents and so she left around the same time frame as jay between 12 30 a.m and 1 a.m while she was leaving the house and walking to melanie's she realized that there was a white or a light colored chevrolet monte carlo or similar two-door modeled car that seemed to be in poor condition, including a gray patch on the right side, slowly approaching her. Hold up. Wait a minute. Something ain't right. As she was walking down the street, she realized that there were two young men inside the car and it was a little bit suspicious. It gave her the heebie-jeebies. So she got spooked and she ran to the Armstrong Street Bridge as it was a lot better lit and she felt safer in the light. So then she walked that same 10-minute route home that Melanie would later take. She got back to Melanie's house just before 1am. At this point, Melanie, her boyfriend, and Chatwin were still awake in the house, watching the movie. After the movie was done, Melanie headed home. It was a clear night, it was somewhat chilly, and there would have been some natural light as it was only a couple days before full moon. Now I want to note, it wasn't at all normal for Melanie to walk home alone, or walk home at all, like that was just not a thing, but their car had broken down. And they didn't have any phone access, so she couldn't call home and ask for a ride. And it was only 10 minutes, so it wasn't that big of a deal. Or so she thought. One of the boys, it's unclear which one, walked her to the door of the house, and then they watched her as she walked west, down Pine Avenue East. On September 29th, 1996, at around 2am is when she left the house, and she was wearing a green Nike jacket, blue jeans, a white t-shirt with a blue heart pepe logo and black boots with a small heel a necklace a watch and also a, a black belt with a silver buckle in order to get home she needed to go through three major intersections over the armstrong street bridge past a gas station an apartment building up a back alley or a main road and then to the top of church street where her family home was her friends and family said that she would usually use the back alley just because it was faster but the bridge was the only part of her walk home that was well lit. After she got off of the bridge, the last part of her walk home would have been a dark back road that had barely any lights at all. Oh lord. Unfortunately, she wasn't seen after this point. So on September 29th, Celine was woken up by Melanie's alarm clock going off at sometime between 6 and 7.30am. It's unclear if it just went off once or if it was going off repeatedly, and that's what woke her up. But she got up to go see what was going on, figure out what is happening, why are you not turning off your alarm clock, only to discover that Melanie was not in her room. That's weird. But she was getting up this early so that she would be able to get things together for her grandma's birthday party. Now, Celine wasn't really too concerned at first, as it wasn't out of the ordinary for Melanie to sleep over at a friend's house. So she just figured that that's what happened and she forgot to mention it, or she didn't have a way to let her mom know as the phone was disconnected. So she just went back to bed. Melanie's grandparents got to the house at around 10am only to see that Melanie was still not home. This was not at all like her as she was extremely responsible and so this is what set off alarms with Celine when she realized that her daughter did not come home and she hadn't communicated to anybody what was going on. Celine and her dad then went to Tim Hortons to call around and see where Melanie was at. They called the Chatwins house only to hear that Melanie was not there and had actually left their house the night before to go home. When Melanie didn't show up for work that afternoon, which is extremely unlike her, Celine called the New Liskard Police Service at around 1 p.m. in order to report Melanie missing. The search for Melanie began on September 29, 1996 at around 2.30 p.m. Police initially went to her home, and they began to search the surrounding area, starting with the Armstrong Street Bridge and the Wabi River. When the search ended is unclear, but it did end unsuccessfully. They weren't able to find anything. On Monday, September 30th, 1996, the new Lisgard Police Service requested help from the Ontario Provincial Police, and they responded quite quickly. Oh. The next day, on October 1st, a helicopter from Sudbury, a police dog team from North Bay, a search and rescue dog team from the Office of the Fire and Marshal of Ontario, and an OPP, Emergency Search and Rescue Team, and an Ontario hydro helicopter were dispatched to help search the area and expand the search area. A psychic who regularly worked with police also joined in on the search. A lot of volunteers came together from across the province to help contribute to the search. Dozens of folks canvassed the areas where Melanie was last seen, and all of the police forces across the province were alerted of her disappearance. They began putting up posters all over town and in nearby towns as well, some of which still remain up to this day, including a large billboard outside of Lashford, which has a picture of Melanie with a question on it asking, You know what happened to me, so why don't you help? Now police had also began to canvass the area after volunteers had done so, and they went door to door, but they didn't search any homes, they didn't really interrogate anybody that hard. Police had claimed that they checked all of the surveillance in the area and yet they found nothing. I truly, genuinely, wholeheartedly do not understand it. And they even decided to check the visitor's login at the Wheel Inn Motel near Pine Avenue as they thought she might have been taken there, or they kind of were insinuating that she went there, like she was just getting away. However, they were unable to get security footage from the Night Owl convenience store, which is in that general area, in which she may have been caught on camera. They questioned all of her friends and all of the friend's parents, and they all gave all the information that they could. Police interviewed a couple of teen girls who believed that they were the ones initially being targeted, that the target was never Melanie. The police thought this because one of the girls apparently, allegedly, 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 I haven't seen pictures, so I don't know if this is true or not, but looked a lot like Melanie. People had reported her to police as a sighting of Melanie herself. They believe that the group was being targeted because one of the workers was an exotic dancer in the nearby town of Notre-Dame-de-Nord and she may have met these men while working and so they were trying to kidnap her. On October 5th, 1996, the 424 Transport and Rescue Squadron came in to train volunteers and join the search. On Tuesday, October 8th, an underwater search and rescue team came together and searched the Wabi River. However, clay deposits made it extremely difficult to see, and so they had to go by touch or what they felt alone. By mid October, Melanie's case was listed with Crime Stoppers, and they urged the public to come forward with any tips that could locate her. Unfortunately, all of the searches ended up fruitless. To this day, no evidence has been recovered, but Melanie's family said that they did find something on the very first day of the search, but the police did not log it, and they didn't make this information public. So what exactly they found is unclear. You don't find that suspicious. Due to the abrupt nature of her disappearance, it's very clear that some sort of foul play happened, some sort of foul play was going down. The police have no idea as to what happened. The woman was too stunned to speak. It's almost as if she simply vanished into thin air. So even though police gave up searching, Celine and her friends and family and volunteers did not. They went and distributed posters in Timmins, Ottawa, and Montreal. Celine actually wrote a letter to the editor of a paper which was published in the November issue of Timiskaming Speaker Paper. And she also sent information about Melanie's disappearance to media companies in Toronto in an effort to keep attention on the case, to keep that pressure. Information about Melanie's disappearance began to circulate Canada-wide by December of 1996. A task force to locate Melanie was put together in 1997, but it was disbanded in 1998. However, both of the lead officers on the case said that they continued to work on it until their retirement, but they didn't find anything. The OPP did another search on September 26th, 1999, and this was primarily focused on the Dawson Point area as they hadn't previously searched it. In the summer of 2000, police seized materials from a landfill in McGarry as part of their investigation, but they didn't make information public about what it is that they found or how it was connected to her disappearance. In December of 1996, Crime Stoppers offered $2,000 to anyone who could bring forth information to help solve the case, and in December of 1998, that reward was increased to $25,000. The OPP took the case over from law enforcement in 2007, but officers have publicly said, which is unfortunate and kind of idiotic, then it's very likely that tips and case information wasn't passed on or wasn't properly recorded during the transfer of responsibilities. So it seems like everybody dropped the ball. In 2010, an eyewitness account was made public and further details of the sighting of melanie crossing the the armstrong street bridge the night she disappeared came forth in 2021 the witness said that she and her husband were driving across the bridge when they saw a young black girl walking south on the eastern sidewalk and she was near the north end of the bridge it was a very clear night and there were no other vehicles or pedestrians around she also said that when she saw the girl she remembered thinking that she was too young to be walking out alone at night but she seemed unbothered and kept a normal pace her husband also saw Melanie and she said that they both were talking about they didn't know that there were any black girls in New What the, f- the woman said that the girl's hair was in locks, but it's very likely that she mistook Melanie's single braids for dreadlocks. The witness came forward initially with what they saw in 1997 when Melanie's pictures went super public because that's when she realized like, hey, I saw this girl that night. However, the officer who took the tip didn't log that information into any police records. You stupid! So her tip was not investigated until 2010 when the woman and her husband went directly to Celine. Then Celine took it upon herself to put pressure on the police to further investigate the tip. However, police said that they did not know about this witness's testimony until 2008. Lies, on Lies. So still 10 years after she had initially reported it. Another witness came forward in 2008 to say that they had also seen Melanie on the Armstrong Street Bridge the night of her disappearance. The witness said that they had been at King George Tavern, which was about two blocks away from the south end of the bridge, until about 1am when they picked up food and coffee from Norm's Forum. As they were being driven home by their bestie, the witness saw a girl who was near the middle of the bridge at around 1.45 a.m. And she said that she watched as the girl was walking on the bridge's western sidewalk when a small blue or light-colored sedan pulled over and two young men exited the car. They cornered her and forced her into the car before speeding off, but the witness said that she could not remember what the girl looked like. Police detective Rob Matthews said that he did not believe this tip because the media reports caused a bunch of falsified and non-credible reports claiming that they saw an abduction. This is fine. In 2019, another witness came forward. She said that she lived on Rebecca Street just off of Pine Avenue near Docks. She did a public interview in 2021 and went by the name Denise. She said that at around 1.45am, she was doing schoolwork and she heard a girl screaming outside. She tried to ignore it and keep working, like finish her homework, she was very focused. But then the screaming continued for a full minute and so she got scared. She went to make sure that her front door was locked and then she ran to peek outside the window. She said that she saw three people running down the street towards Pine Avenue but did not see any vehicles or headlights. However, it's unclear whether police took this report, whether they investigated or they dismissed it like the rest. Trash. Melanie's best friend, who remains anonymous, spoke to the public twice about this whole incident and has since moved overseas because she hasn't been able to bear the thought of her friend being out there, them not being able to find her and just the guilt of the whole situation. A podcast was released about Melanie's case in 2021 and that led to another witness coming forward. The police said that an anonymous male witness came forward, and the tip led police to the La Roque field in North Cobalt, which is about 10 kilometers from Melanie's last known location, and the area was searched from October 12th to October 14th, 2021. The police said that the heavily forested area made it difficult to look for evidence, and they said that they would need more time to search the area, but it's unclear if they actually did this, if they actually found anything, or what happened. At this point, Celine and police do not believe that Melanie is alive and Celine actually figured that she had died by the third day of her being missing. She said she just had like a gut feeling. There is currently a $50,000 reward for any information that leads to an arrest or conviction for those who are responsible for Melanie's disappearance. There have been over 700 tips throughout the years and the police said that they have over 300 persons of interest. Some of these tips, however, have been brought forth by psychics, but in 2021, Rob Matthews said that there was a psychic who regularly posts to YouTube and claims to have been in contact with Melanie's spirits and said that that has quote-unquote created nothing but issues for the investigation, which I would argue that the police have also created nothing but issues throughout the investigation, but... And I- Melanie's case is still considered a cold case. Her clothes have not been found, her body has not been located, Her family still has no idea what happened to her till this day. So we have now come to the part of the podcast where I give my thoughts, my feelings, and my opinions. I don't have much to say about this case. I think it's unfortunate what happened to Melanie. And I really do feel like it's the fact that she was a black girl in a predominantly white town. That there was the farce of like, let's make a big effort to find her. But then there wasn't actually follow through with that on the police's behalf i said what i said as per usual community has come together and they have been the ones collecting most of the information i think it's really unfortunate that her own daughter went missing celine and she's had to put in the brunt of the work to make sure that people are actually doing something she's still doing interviews and going out there and talking about her hoping that eventually she will be found or they will know what happened to her it seems so suspicious to me that in a small town like this A girl went missing and nobody knows anything. There must have been whispers of something. Somebody knows something and they're just not saying it. And police dropped the ball. How do you have multiple witnesses come forth publicly because you ignored their tips and their reports stating that they had seen her, they had heard something, they know something and you're just going to ignore them. (sighs) Disgusted. But continue working with psychics. And don't get me wrong, I'm not dissing psychics. I think that that's a real gift that some people have. But I also feel like If you're actually there to help, then you're going to be listening to all the tips. You're not just going to be going with what you feel is right. I don't like the fact that they haven't released any information to the public about the investigation. It's been over 20 years, and they still know nothing. I will leave links in the description to her missing persons reports, any posters, or any information that her mom has since put out there recently about this case and about Melanie. I just, I feel like This case is not very widely known or talked about and there's not a lot of pressure to find her, again, because she is a black girl who went missing in a small town. I also thought it was very suspicious that the first place the police were looking was the hotel and then the other people who they thought were the targets of the attack are in the sex work industry. It's like, what are you insinuating here? I didn't like that. Uh, and so I just hope that the family is able to get closure and we're able to either find Melanie or s- just find out what happened to her for her family's sake because it's crazy that it's going on 30 years of her disappearance and there's no information known and the police have not, they have not taken it seriously. They did when there was a lot of public pressure right when it happened but since then they haven't cared and that's not shocking but it is disappointing. I thank you so much for tuning into this podcast episode about the disappearance of Melanie Ether. And I will see you tomorrow, where we're back talking about Black history.